It's been a minute, but we're bringing it back. Three for three right here on the YouTube and podcast homes for BamaOnline.com. Travis Schreier, Clint Lamb, Jimmy Stein getting you ready for, well, a little bit of downtime as the Alabama Crimson Tide prepares to enter college football preparations. The Michigan Wolverines on tap in the Rose Bowl January 1st. It's going to be, what, a four o'clock-ish central time kickoff. Uh, with Big Blue out there in Pasadena. So we got plenty of time. And with that, wanted to bring Clint and Jimmy and myself together and go over three topics as we look ahead. And first and foremost, guys, you, you fully recovered from the events of last weekend, not just Saturday, but Sunday. And then I think we caught a little bit of a break on Monday with the portal opening. It wasn't maybe as, as noisy or newsy where the Crimson Tide is concerned. They still found a way to talk a lot about Alabama versus uh, Florida State's resumes, though. Uh, I th- kind of thought the portal would be very distracting. It was not. It still dominated headlines. But, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a whirlwind the last week or so. Yeah, stressful. Like a stressful weekend. I mean, obviously you're playing the number one team, uh, trying to prevent a three-peat, trying to win the SEC uh, of your own. And at the same time, uh, then it's always in the back of your head every time you take a lead and get excited or every time the game w- w- would go well, which was a lot of the 60 minutes, still in the back of your head, you're like, is this all going to be for a, a Cotton Bowl appearance against uh, Ohio State? I mean, that was in the back of your head the whole time. Then you win the game, and then then it's waiting and waiting for, for 11 Central, you know, on Sunday, and 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 that was up and down. And then, then the announcement, and then you can breathe. Hey, it happened. It all worked out. And then the endless amount of complaining uh, from the South and to the East and, and really nationally from a lot of, of, of talking heads. So, uh, wow, it's been it's been a stressful uh, experience. But uh, but here we are. Eighth time in 10 years. You know, I know there was a sentiment from some Alabama fans that, look, if we don't get in, you know, 12 and one SEC champs into Georgia's 29 game win streak. I'm good with all that. And I hear a lot of that. I get a lot of that. But at the same time, with this thing going to 12 teams next year, I think there's an urgency to get in this year because this will probably be as easy, I say easy, relative to winning a national championship can be anyway, as it's going to be moving forward. I mean, you go to 12 teams, if you're not in that top four, uh, and even if you are, uh, it, it's the pass obviously going to be longer. Uh, which means the the potential for teams to break down uh, in terms of roster quality and things like that, going through a regular season and still with a conference championship game for the foreseeable future anyway. Uh, Clint, I don't, I, I think this is about as easy as it's going to get for a while. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it's going to feel, it's not going to quite be NFL with 12 teams, but it's going to feel more that way because you, I mean, obviously the top 12 teams, I'm not saying you know, LSU played Alabama close for a while, and they're sitting right outside the top 12, you know, at number 13. So, like, the NFL, any NFL team can beat any NFL team on any given Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a lot more that way when you get into the playoffs. I'm not saying that, you know, you won't see your typical, you know, Alabamas and Georgias and Ohio States all up there at the top at the end. You're probably still going to see a lot of Alabama or Georgia or whoever winning championships. But it's just it, the road becomes that much tougher because – you're entering a playoff field of teams that are exclusively, you don't have any, you know, um, no offense, but Mercers or Vanderbilts or someone like that. Everybody that's up there is a quality opponent. And 
if you don't play your best football, it's very possible that one of those 12 other 11 teams can beat you. So, yeah, it's going to – I completely agree. It's going to be a much different approach. And I'm excited that Alabama got to be a part of the final uh, four-team playoff that's ever going to be in existence. Yeah, no one's backing into it in the future. No one's gonna. No one's gonna just back into a national championship. And I know myself. Uh, I, I'm gonna mock commentators that that when predicting a 12-team field, uh, take flyers on somebody and say, uh, "I think Kansas State's gonna make the field next year, and they're gonna win it." You know, Kansas State is not going to beat Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama all right in a row. I mean, you, you're gonna have to be legit to win that 12-team playoff. There, there won't be a, oh, anything can happen in 60 minutes. Well, maybe anything can happen in 60 minutes, but we know what will happen over 180 minutes. I mean, someone to win three games or even four games like this in a row, you're going to have to be deep and really, really good. Ain't going to be no Cinderella's once you get to the semifinals in all likelihood. I mean, you might have a team – get in there in the 11-12 spot on a late-season heater that can go on the road and get a win in that first round. But, yeah, I agree, Jimmy. Once you get beyond that, it's going to be the teams that are built to last that we typically see in those same spots, even in the four-team, even when we had two teams uh, in the BCS as we get late into this thing. Speaking of a team on a heater, this Alabama football team, I certain, I, I certainly believe qualifies – as such. And guys, the first topic we're going to talk about today on three for three, we're going to compare this Alabama team to previous college football playoff teams under Nick Saban. Not so much about quality because the argument could be made that Saban's best teams didn't win at all. I mean, when you're talking about 2016, 2018, those were hellacious squads in terms of personnel quality and those things. But what we'll maybe do is break it down to each of the three phases. And I'll start with you, Jimmy. If you want to start with offense, if you want to go offense, defense, special teams, I want your comp uh, for previous Nick Saban college football playoff teams where his current unit is concerned. Yeah, and really it's been the same for me all year long, uh, particularly offensively. I mean, I'll start there, but but I think it's really to the team as a whole, but, but particularly offensively. This team has reminded me of back-to-back seasons, 2014 and 2015. Uh, and, and I say that because uh, a quarterback uh, where there's been uh, maybe a guy that didn't inspire a ton of confidence early, and doesn't that sound a little bit like Blake Sims and a little bit like Jake Coker? Uh, Coker even uh, didn't didn't make a start uh, in September because there were some concerns about whether he'd be the guy or not. Uh, that sounds like Milrow. Uh, Blake Sims incredible athlete would he be good enough as a passer uh boy doesn't that sound a little bit like like Jalen Milrow and then you look look at the 14 and 15 seasons and in both instances particularly 15 which by the way is my answer 2015 you saw an Alabama team that was a question mark in September and basically dominant in November and, and while this team hasn't been super dominant because we know what happened over at Auburn, I think we all agree that this team, as we sit here right today, is tremendously improved over September and a threat to win the college football playoff, which sounded like fiction in September, 
So in, in that way, I think it's 2015 is the best answer, even though I think a lot of the season is paralleled 2014. I think ultimately it's 2015 because that team played its best late behind the quarterback who everyone had questions about. But when you look back at Jake Coker's run and pretty much starting about game 11, game 12, SEC championship and the playoff, his numbers were fantastic. I even said at the time, uh, Coker was a fifth-year senior and couldn't come back. But I said, you know, Coker's playing so well. If he had another year of eligibility, he would enter next season as a Heisman favorite. And really, that's, as we all know, what's going to be the situation with Jalen Milrow. So to me, this offense in particular has evolved a lot like 2014, but particularly 2015. And I feel like this Alabama team is most similar to the 15 team that actually won the college football playoff over Clemson. Now, is that offense or across the board? That you're offense talking? in particular, offense gotcha. in particular, but across the board also. Clint, mm. where are you at with this team? I think Jimmy makes a lot of good points. I think there's a lot of 2016 similarities. Uh, one major difference would be the late offensive coordinator change. And I guess there's still time for that. If somebody swoops in and picks up Tommy Reese, um, but, you know, at this point, you've got the offensive coordinator who's really starting to figure some things out. Not saying he's Lane Kiffin, not saying that the offenses are built the exact same way, but you had kind of that, you know, Jalen Milrose in year three and Jalen Hurts was in year one. But I feel like they have had similar, uh, you know, they have similar strengths. There's some things that you got to work around. Obviously, Jalen Milrose is a much better vertical uh, passer than Jalen Hurts was at this point or at that point in his career. But you talk about the the receiving makeup, like that was before the dominant four receivers that Alabama had the following year with Jerry Judy and all those guys. But um, you know, defensively, kind of led by a three headed monster uh, as far as your pass rush is concerned. You had Jonathan Allen, you had Tim Williams, and you had Ryan Anderson. So you had the two really effective pass rushing outside linebackers. They're not Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell are a little bit different. Um, in some ways, and obviously they, those two are your headliners compared to that 2016 group that had Jonathan Allen, which is your defensive lineman, but he was the headliner. So it was more so built inside out compared to now it's built outside in. But Justin Aboy be emerging as that third option, uh, a complementary piece as an interior pass rusher or you know even sometimes out there on the edge or further outside. Uh, you got Minka Fitzpatrick on that 2016 group. I understand he was a sophomore, but very Caleb Downs-esque in the impact that he can make. Uh, that was a good secondary Alabama had back then. Linebackers, a couple of really athletic guys that can get sideline to sideline. You had Reuben Foster back in 2016. So defensively, I would say it's it, – obviously the numbers in production is not the same. It's a different era of college football. This was seven years ago. Things have changed quite a bit. Uh, but as far as just the amount of talent on that side of the football and the way that you've got your quarterback set up, the one thing you need to make sure you avoid, and I think Alabama's already kind of been doing it, is you need to avoid the Bo Scarborough situation going into a national championship game where you build your entire game plan around him. He goes down with an injury, and now you really don't have the ability to counter. Uh, but with the way Alabama has been setting up pretty much this entire year, whether it was them learning their lesson from the Jamison Williams, John Mechie going down a couple of years ago or you know whatever, uh, I feel like they're a, a lot more diversified as far as how they can attack you and guys who can step up in any given week. And I think that's going to help them as this uh, college football playoff rolls up. 
Yeah, I kind of align with you on a lot of the 2016, especially on offense. 2016, you're talking about post Derrick Henry in 2015. So pretty committee-ish approach to the running back position. Very talented dudes, as we know, back in 2016, as you outlined, Bo Scarborough, Damian Harris, uh, Josh Jacobs, I believe, coming in at that point as well. You had Jalen's quarterbacking both these teams, right? 2016, 2023, uh, a couple of wide receivers at the top of the rotation and Ridley and Stewart back then in 2016, uh, similar to what maybe Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond have become during this most recent campaign. You had an Amari Nyblack like tight end back then in OJ Howard, even the offensive line. You had Cam Robinson in his final year with the Crimson Tide. You had a true freshman starter at the other tackle and Jonah Williams. Inside, you had guys like Bozeman and Pierce Baker and Shank Taylor. And then on defense, I, I lean maybe a little bit more to 2020. You know, Will Anderson kind of was your Dallas Turner guy. Christopher Allen was kind of your Chris Braswell. Christian Barmore, Justin Aboigby has given you some of that kind of production uh, as a as a veteran player. And, you know, that 2020 defense gave up about five yards per play. 2023 is about right on top of that. And even going back to 2016, I might be more along the lines of that secondary. When you talk about just its top four, which could pretty much go with any in college football, when you had Minka and Marlin and Ronnie Harrison. And unfortunately, as you guys know, that defense lost Eddie Jackson about eight games into the season, which showed up big, in my opinion, down the stretch, especially against Clemson down in Tampa. And I know we don't talk a lot of special teams, but I would even go back to 2016-ish with these specialists, guys like Adam Griffith and J.K. Scott. And then in the return game, when you had Eddie Jackson healthy, he was so good back there. Kenyon Drake it was more 2015, I guess. But I see some Kendrick Law at times in Kenyon Drake not only in his return ability, but how he's used. Uh, Trayvon Diggs, I guess, in 2016 was more of a kickoff return option. So, yeah, I kind of cheated, guys. Uh, I think it's fair to say that. <laughs> I actually love your answer, though. I mean, because yeah, you think about that 2016 group, and you're right. I mean, it, it where it starts, what will take everybody there immediately is the Jalen to Jalen comparisons. I mean, obviously. But then when you start fleshing it out, I kind of go the defensive route uh, and just the comparisons on that front, but you're right. You know, you kind of forget about Calvin Ridley and, and Ardarius Stewart. Kind of the entire offense was more so funneled, or the passing game at least was funneled more so through two guys, and then you had some complementary pieces, but you had that big play tight end that just couldn't seem to find a consistent role uh, throughout pretty much his entire career at Alabama. Uh, hopefully that's not the case for Amari Black. I, I highly doubt that it will be. But uh, there are a lot of comparisons. I mean, Jonah Williams compared to Caden Proctor, the veteran, I, I love it. I think offensively, when you really start diving in, there's a lot of comparisons there. And then defensively, like I said, the production might not quite be on that same level, but it's just a different era of college football. And I feel like from a talent level standpoint, at all three levels, you had that. And you get that all, with a lot of Alabama defenses. But with this one in particular, with the way that the defensive line stepped up to make a you know, you got your headliners uh, with your outside linebackers, and then you got the complimentary like day two kind of, you know, NFL talents with some of your interior guys. I think you got a couple of, uh, you know, day one, day two picks at the inside linebacker position. You got several multiple uh, first round picks in your secondary, and then you've got some complimentary pieces. 
uh, uh, definitely a complete makeup. And then, you know, you bring up J.K. Scott and uh, Adam Griffith, and, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Jimmy, I love the 2015 analogy, though, especially at quarterback, because this does almost feel like if Alabama had another year with Jake Coker, that's what they're going to get, you would think, with Jalen Milrow. I mean, a couple of guys that were rough around the edges, no doubt about it. But, man, when I think about the finish to that 2015 season, Coker was money in the playoff against Tough, Michigan dude. State and also Clemson. I mean, he had some clutch plays, too, not just in the passing game, but he had a run late in that Clemson game where he converted for a first down, I think, inside the five, and that was pretty much the ball game. I, I, I love that one, too. You know, rough September's. Uh then better Octobers and dominant Novembers. That, that's that's why it reminds me of of like, hey, this this team can win it all. That's what we were saying in 2015 at the end, but we certainly weren't saying at the beginning. Uh, I love any Jalen Milrow, Jalen Hurts comp because in so many ways they have very similar stories. Uh, but the 2016 Jalen Hurts, you could see some of that in early, I think back in September with Milrow, but Milrow's ascent has been steeper than Hurts and quicker than Hurts. I would even say, guys, uh, maybe this sounds nuts, but Jalen Hurts' ascent to me was like a 2016 to 2018 thing. It was, it was a different Hurts in 18, a much better passer, uh, much better command of the field, a guy that you that could put the team on his back and he can win the game. He was doing that in 18. Milrow, in my mind, is doing it now. He's doing yeah. it now. I mean, th th this team wins because of Jalen Milrow. I'm not sure we were saying that about Hurts in his first year, that, that Alabama was winning games because of Hurts. Now, Hurts is doing a great job of not losing games, and that's something that maybe Milrow struggled with back in September, back in the early part of his career. But Milrow's ascent to me has been steeper. Alabama's now winning because of Jalen Milrow. I would say – that Hertz wasn't ready to win games on his back until 2018. And then of course, 2019 when he was at Oklahoma. Yeah. Jalen, I think turned 17 as a true freshman starter at quarterback, That's young, wild. young dude, Jalen Hertz. Uh, and he was the sec offensive player of the year as a true freshman. Mm -hmm. I think though, your point is a good one in that when I think of the 2016 team, I primarily think of guys like Ryan Anderson, uh, Tim Williams, Jonathan yes. Allen, uh, the defensive personnel that that team had was was really second to none. And again, especially when Eddie Jackson was healthy. I want to stick with uh, this football team and I want to talk about the most surprising aspect or player of this team for you guys. Uh, 13 games into it now, Jimmy, get us going. Your most surprising aspect or player to this point for the 2023 Crimson Tide? Such a great question because I think there's almost, uh, you know, 22 different answers. I mean, I think you could almost talk about any player on the roster. Uh, but I'm going to go with Terrion Arnold, and, and this is why. Uh, you know, I do – I rank the roster in the offseason, and uh, – I don't I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and look soon. I don't think he's the guy I missed on the most. As a matter of fact, I didn't really miss on him. I, I had him higher than most anyone else would have. But I didn't have him first-round pick. You know, I, I didn't have him there uh, where I had, you know, at the very top, Dallas Turner, 
All right, uh, borderline SEC Defensive Player of the Year, headed probably for the first round, Kool-Aid, uh, you know, all SEC consensus, probably headed to the first round, J.C. Latham I had at the very, very top. You know, but you could argue in terms of, you know, who are the best players on this team? Terriana Arnold would be really, really high, maybe as high as third, fourth, fifth. Uh, you know, if you were going to rank the whole team, who are the best players on this team? I, I didn't have Terion there in the preseason. I had him, you know, I expected a good year. I expected him to be a good player. Even thought, expected that we might see a Kool-Aid level performance out of him in 2024, but not 2023. Uh, I, I think his ascent is incredible. Uh, and, and I think he might end up being Alabama's fourth first round pick off of this team in this next draft. Didn't see that coming. And where he makes the greatest contribution, guys, is not only just the fact that he's such a premium elite athlete and a playmaker, but the versatility, the fact that he's the guy they chose to play the two spots, that he's playing corner, he's playing star, sometimes on back-to-back -back snaps. That's asking so much of kids mentally, and he doesn't skip a beat. He's a playmaker inside at star. He's a shutdown corner outside, uh, matched up even against elite receivers. And uh, I, I, I guess I'll go with Terry on Arnold being the most surprising. Not surprised that he's good, but a little surprised that he's this level of elite. What about it, Clint? Where are you going? You know, I, I will say to start off, I was going to take this in one direction, and it's the team's overall ability to handle adversity. Just the fact they've constantly been able to do that. And I'll admit, uh, you know, secret time, even though I don't think anybody's going to be floored by this statement. When I saw uh, Jalen Milrow start against Texas A&M last year, I saw a guy who was a deer in headlights. I mean, he was so overwhelmed. I don't think he handled that extremely well. And typically when you see that level of just someone big stage overwhelmed, you rarely, very rarely see them overcome that to a point where it not only is no longer a huge liability, but it's actually a strength. Like his ability to overcome adversity, not get, let the moments get too big for him. He's not playing well against Georgia, when it, but when it counts, he's making all the plays. Like just his his growth on that front and, and his ability in particular to handle adversity and how that's kind of carried out throughout the rest of the team I would say that's been a huge surprise and a pleasant surprise and all the props to him because I was one of those people, uh, you know, from that start that just I always was going to question those really big moments. Could he keep his, you know, Jalen was always this. Didn't matter if it was good, bad. Um, Jalen Hurts. And, you know, I wondered if Jalen Milrow would ever have that, and he's proven that he does. But for me, probably the most surprising aspect of the actual roster and the kind of production they've gotten from it has been the interior defensive line. I just I saw it coming from a a run stopping perspective. I knew they had some options there, but when you talk about Tim Keenan in his emergence and what he's meant to that defensive line and, and the way that he can stop the run, you talk about Justin Aboybe, who was you know his career was threatened last year with a neck injury. Not only does he come back, which is you know just making it back to the field is a, a major deal. But he, we, we always talk about how if you can have a dominant pass rusher and then you can get that complementary piece that people have to focus in on as well, how much more lethal that makes your pass rush. But if you can add that third element, uh, it makes you extremely tough, extremely tough to defend because you've got five offensive linemen typically in pass protection. You might leave a back end or you might leave a tight end in. But when you're trying to double 
a certain amount of guys and you've got pieces that can complement each other, it just it wreaks havoc on opposing offenses. And just Justin DeBoybe's emergence as a pass rusher and the consistency in which he does it, um, I think has been surprising and it's been extremely beneficial for Alabama's defense. Yeah, I think the key word there is consistency. Because I, 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 without looking at it, I'm not sure where Alabama ranks in sacks in the SEC. I'm guessing top four or so for the season. I mean, because you did get that input from Justin Aboigby to go along with uh, Chris Braswell and obviously Dallas Turner. But this has been a reaffirming season for Nick Saban and something he has been consistent with during his time at Alabama. It's not so much about sacks. It's how much you affect the quarterback on a consistent basis. And you look at last Saturday's game against Georgia, and you see Alabama two sacks, I think, in that game. But if you watch it, you can see Beck is affected on a pretty consistent basis. It's I would in say his head. That, that hit that Braswell had on him in the end zone, I really think set the tone for how Carson Beck approached that entire game. It was going to be that way all day, or at least he thought it was, which yes. is all that matters, whether it is or not. Absolutely. Uh, that's huge and impacting, a, especially a first-year starter, a, you know, not a young quarterback. He's been around. He was class of 2020. But, yeah, I mean, he hadn't been in that spot before. And so if you can affect him, no doubt about it. I'm going to go wide receiver, and that may come as a surprise because it's been – an a group that's talented enough the last couple of years didn't really uh, do it, but that consistency word comes into play. And I'm going wide receiver, not so much because of the seasons that Burton and Bond have had so far, but you know they've gotten to this point without Ja'Cory Brooks being a real factor this season. And not that I thought Ja'Cory would be along the lines of Jerry Judy or Devontae Smith, but of my two breakout players that I had for this season, Justin Aboigby being the other, it just never happened this season for Ja'Cory Brooks. Plus, you lost a couple of guys to the portal, including Aaron Anderson, returned some capable guys, but we really hadn't seen a returnee other than Ja'Cory Brooks step up in a big spot. Well, as recently as last Saturday, Burton and Bond certainly did just that. And also, we've seen it from Kobe Prentice, and Kendrick Law, too. So I like it. We spread it around a little bit, guys. We got some Terry and Arnold from Jimmy. We got some quarterback. We got some defensive line from Clint. And uh, I'll go with those wide receivers. Now, as we get into college football playoff prep coming up here for the Alabama Crimson Tide, Jimmy, I'll start with you. What's your biggest area of concern for this team? Is it is it uh, gets into those workouts and those meetings and that preparation? Well, it's matchup specific, and 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 I'm going to say concern. Though I also have also a, 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 some level of confidence, and that's just stopping the run. You know, Michigan is uh, they run the ball. I mean, they they really do very little else. I think they've thrown one touchdown pass in the last five games collectively. Uh, they run the ball. I mean, that's that's the plan. They have two outstanding running backs, and Cora may be as good as anybody. That offensive line is a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. Uh, so very big and physical up front, very good up front, an athletic quarterback, Blake Corum. And we saw not so much in the Georgia game where Alabama did a very, very good job against the run, but but Alabama was torched by Auburn Now on the ground. Now Auburn does it differently than Michigan. There's a lot of misdirection. There's a, they, they try to confuse you. 
Uh, it's a magic trick a little bit. Michigan's not going to do any any magic tricks. It won't be David Copperfield. It, it's going to be we're running the ball uh, to the right side on this snap, and how are you guys going to stop that? Because I don't think that you can. It's 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 big and physical. It's downhill. Uh, you know right where it's going. Uh, my concern is we've seen Alabama very recently, just two games ago, get beat up on the ground uh, and not have such a good game. Against Michigan, you have to. You you either stop the run or you lose. So that's my uh, that's my biggest concern. Uh, but I also have uh, a great deal of confidence. I think the Michigan running game is built a little more similarly to Georgia's, and uh, Alabama had great success against the run in that game. So it's my biggest area of concern. But I also feel like uh, Kevin Steele and his group are going to uh, do well. What about it, Clint? Hey, mine's. Mine's a little different. Um, I like where Alabama's at. Like I was, look, I was thinking about positions, and I'm thinking about quarterback and you know left tackle and you know the receiver consistency that you were talking about. A lot of these different positions, and I'm kind of working through them, and I'm like, none of them are like overly concerning. Like there's nothing I look at and say that's a major problem. What that led me to my answer though, and that's rat poison. Like I, that's what, in my opinion, Alabama needs to worry about the most. And I understand I've heard people say, well, you know, uh, Alabama was a huge favorite over, over Ohio State back in 2014, so that's much different. Michigan opened as a favorite in this game. Alabama should be motivated by that. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter what Vegas is saying. I don't think players are going to look up betting lines. What are people saying about the game? And there are some people who are, you know, very confident in Michigan's ability to get the job done. They're the number one ranked team right now. But, uh, you know, based off of that video of Michigan reacting and everybody making fun of them and saying that they're scared and Alabama's going to drum them and Alabama's the four seed and you got Shannon Sharp hopping on here saying they're going to go to the, you know, it's definitely Alabama. A lot of people are picking Bama. It's like you're cramming the entire 2022 offseason into a three and a half week period where it's just nothing but praise. And this entire year, Alabama has more so been built on the disrespect and the fact that they weren't getting the praise and they wanted to prove everybody wrong when they play against Georgia. And they've achieved that. And now they're being told how good, great, and wonderful they are in a lot of circles. And it's how do you handle that? Nick Saban brought that up in the postgame press conference. He was asked about it, but he, he admitted that it was a good question. And he, it was a good question for a reason. It's like this is going to be a shift. And this is why... If you're Nick Saban, you typically don't like to let the external factors affect how you approach things. But uh, because now that you're being told how good, great, and wonderful you are, where's the motivation come from? You need to find it from somewhere else. In Alabama, there's still a job that needs to get done. I'm not saying Alabama will let that affect them, but they need to make sure that they're not letting that, those external factors you know, make them think, okay, we're Alabama, we're back on track. Everybody thinks we're wonderful. We'll win this game just because we're Alabama and everybody expects us to win this game. Like you've still got to have that same chip on your shoulder that you've had. And I believe in their ability to do that. But I will say when you start looking at the team as a whole, I don't think there's a whole lot of areas of concern. But as a result, that makes me concerned because there are things, you know, Michigan's going to come out probably feeling disrespected because they're not being picked very much. And everybody says that they're scared and all this stuff. Uh, Alabama needs to be ready for that. Yeah, I was going to say focus too, but this isn't a team loaded with individual stars who are up for like the Heisman and or at least guys that are going to win, I think, a lot of individual awards. And in other words, it's not going to feel like a rejoining of individual pieces coming back from the banquet circuit when they get going 
fully in this preparation. And I think, too, the Auburn experience is still fresh enough to remind these guys that anything less than their best against Michigan might not be good enough. So I won't worry about the psyche or mindset because they felt undervalued all season long, too. Right? They're just still the four seed. So Saban will have the least deserving angle that he can work with. And even from a health perspective, they've got some time now to get Kool-Aid healthy, to get Dallas Turner right, to get Jace McClellan as good as he can be. Um, and we talked about it earlier, even from the transfer portal perspective, they've gotten through that initial wave pretty much whole. So for me, it goes back to staying healthy, getting healthy through this Rose Bowl prep and just being who they've become over the course of the season. And uh, some continued growth in a couple of other areas would be helpful too, but uh, that should be enough to have them where they want to be when they head to Pasadena. I just, I'm with you. I think stay focused, stay in that vacuum, continue to beat that lank drum, you know, uh, and, and act as if you're the one with the chip on your shoulder because what has Alabama heard over the last four or five days? Should have been Florida State. Florida State was robbed. Alabama shouldn't be in there, right? That that could be a huge motivating factor right there. And that's what you really got to latch on to is uh, you, you, at this point, I, I, I think if you, if you come short of winning a national championship, people will always question if you should have been there. I mean, it, it's national championship or bust from that perspective. And one thing that they can never say if you do win the national championship is they can complain about how you got there all they want to. But the bottom line is, is you prove you were the best team in the country by winning it at all once you did get that opportunity. So it's very hard to dispute that they were not one of the top four teams in the country. So, yeah, I mean, if I was Alabama, that's what I'd be focusing on because that is an incredible opportunity. Uh, and if you if you lose to Michigan, the noise is going to be a, as loud as you've ever heard it. If they beat Michigan, but then losing the national championship, you know, what is it? Who, what does everybody focus on with TCU last year? I'm not saying Alabama's TCU now that we're not going there, but my point is they beat Michigan they got to the national championship and everybody says that they still didn't belong there because they got drummed by Georgia in the actual championship game. So just because you beat Michigan doesn't mean if you don't lose in the national championship, everybody's going to say, well, you belonged, you belonged in there because you got there. I think you got to win it. Yeah, I disrespect all elite athletes, Michael Jordan, you know, Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant. I mean, you know, Tom Brady, uh, Tom Brady played to his last day, uh, you know, like he was the, the, the 199th pick. I mean, that's that's uh, the, the disrespect card. Uh, it means a lot to these elite athletes. And Nick Saban has a great opportunity here. You can already hear it in every pre pregame pre practice speech from Nick Saban is. They say you don't belong. They say you're not good enough. They say you're not good as good as Florida State, and that Florida State should be here and not you. Uh, you, you can hear you can hear it already, and it's probably something's going to play pretty well. Yeah, it's pretty nice when you probably have the best roster going into this fourteen playoff, and then you can still play the disrespect angle. Yeah, that's the yeah. best of all worlds. If you're Nick Saban, doesn't guarantee anything, but. Not a bad place to be for sure. Hey, this has been a great place to be with you guys. It's been a lot of fun. No Thursday night tied this week. We're going to give TNT a week off, but some three on three. Hey, it's not a back seat. It's not a sub for anybody, guys. Hey, this is, uh, I always enjoy it. As soon as you brought up three for three, I'm like, well, my week just got better. Let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah, it's Jimmy, appreciate fun, it, my man. Always fun. Clint Lamb, thank you. 
Absolutely. Anytime, boys. And thank you all for viewing, listening. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, now is a good time to hit that button. Turn on those notifications. You'll get all. I say owl. I sound like Brian Kelly right there. <laughs> You'll get all of our YouTube content as it drops. And of course, you want to hang out with us at BamaOnline.com, the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Crimson Tide fans around the world. Until next time, so long, everybody.